You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 67, for Monday the 12th of June 2017. My guest today is Ruth Sutton, whose first novel, A Good Liar, was published in 2012. The two further books that formed the Jesse Whelan trilogy followed in successive years, Forgiven in 2013 and Fallout in 2014. In 2015, Ruth turned her hand to crime fiction in Cruel Tide, which was shortlisted for the Lakeland Book of the Year. The sequel, Fatal Reckoning, came out in 2016. As a self-published author, Ruth is constantly trying new things. She's just launched a crowdfunding campaign, recently recorded her own audiobook, and assigned two books with Fahrenheit Press, which is marketing her writing to a much broader audience. Being a local author to me, I was able to catch up with Ruth for a one-to-one chat in the foyer of a wonderful Cumbrian venue, the Brewery Arts Centre in Kendall. So Ruth, you were podcast guest number one, Mm -hmm. and it's over a year, virtually a year since we spoke, and you've been doing all sorts of interesting things, and I've just got to talk to you again because I need to know all about them, to delve into all of this. So the first thing is, is um, Fahrenheit Press, this Mm -hmm. was the first thing that we spoke about, and it's not, is it? Traditional publishing is that traditional? No, no, that's ebook only. Well, ebook, ah. ebook, and print on demand, mm-hmm. uh, and through Amazon, they don't do a physical product at all, unless they do the print on demand. I think they have had occasions in the past where something has gone really well, and they've printed real copies. Um, but that's a piece of the business I don't know much about. Now they approached you, I think, which is quite flashy. Well, in. Sort of. I was talking to my editor and book designer about their imminent retirement and how difficult it was without an agent to get to anybody about having help with publishing. And we just went online idly and looked at crime fiction publishing or something. And Fahrenheit, the the website popped up and it looked interesting. And uh, my friend said, well, just try it, you know, just email them and see what happens. And I did, and nothing happened um, for weeks. And I thought, well, that's typical. You know, you kind of send things off into the ether and, you, and they, who knows where they go or who responds. But weeks later, I got an email back from Chris McVeigh, who is the MD of Fahrenheit Press, um, who said that my email had been ending up in a you know, box somewhere that he hadn't <laughs> checked or he'd been ill or something. Uh, and he'd only just got to it. And he looked at my, because I'd mentioned my books, the two crime novels. And he looked at the first one, which was out. The second one was in production. And he looked at the first one and said, oh, like this, this is good, yeah. Um, and I said, well, I had another one coming out. And he said, oh, yeah, well, we'll have a look at that as well. So um, long story short, he said, I'm coming to London. He lives in Santa Monica. I'm coming to London shortly. And um, can we meet up? Well, I said I wanted to meet anybody I was going to do business with. Yes. So we went down, we met, I can't remember where, very nice um, conversation he's a scott um quite a whiz in publishing i didn't know this but quite a reputation for being um iconoclastic i think you'd probably say traditional publishing being on its last legs yes and again long story short he's we agreed that i would try to put my two 
crime novels as ebooks and POD with him for a year. And that was the contract we drew up. Very simple. And the three months before the end of that year, if either of us wants out, then we can leave. And if we want to, we can roll it over for another year and so on. So that was it. And so in that respect, what's in it for you? Because you do have books on Amazon already. Are they, are they in e-book form? Yes, seen? yes, they yeah. are. So you've but done it my, yourself. Yeah. My reach, yes, I've done that mm. myself. But my reach is much less yes. than Fahrenheit's. Yes. And um, they're the 50-50 split on profits, but he's... He is a very well-known ebook crime publisher, mm. both, and it's fifty percent the states, fifty percent here. So it was a, a market reach that I couldn't hope to emulate. Only if I worked really, really hard on it, which I wasn't prepared to do. Mm. So I just thought, well, what's what's the problem for a year? He takes over the ebook only mm. of those two crime novels in a very specialist way, with his own knowledge of how Amazon works and you know things. Algorithms was, you know, my <laughs> eyes word. glazed over. Um, and he talked a lot about algorithms. And I thought, well, if this guy knows what he's doing, and he certainly appears to, and I checked him out, mm. and he seemed, certainly seemed to know what he was doing, I said, well, let's just give it a go. And that was, what, less than six months ago now. So I've still got some time to go before we decide, or I decide, whether or not to continue. Well, what I noticed, I, I sent you a few Twitter messages, if I remember correctly. I just noticed that your podcast listens were, were going up because yes. I get stats on this. And, um, and I think I asked you, uh, what do you think might be responsible mm-hmm. for this? Because I always like to know where the, the traffic's coming from. If mm-hmm. I see spikes for, for authors, it's always interesting to know. And I, I wondered if that was as a direct oh. consequence of that. Uh, maybe, are they marketing in, in a different way or more proactive way, perhaps? Um, oh, yes, he's very proactive. Mm. And... Um, it's perfectly possible. It, it didn't occur to me at the time, but perfectly possible that the um, push that he gave it on Amazon and through his own company, through Fahrenheit, was driving people to f- to check my name out because yes. I was new. He calls it Cumbria Noir, by the way. Yeah. Which is rather fun. Um, I like That's that. Nice. Yes. Um, so it, that could have been the reason. But I, to be honest with you, this whole field of algorithms and um, links and how Amazon works. I prefer to leave that to other people because it's it's just not something I've got terribly into. Yes, nice to have it handled, isn't it? On, on your yes, behalf, it is. Yes. I mean, you probably know far more about it than I do. I'd still like it handled on my behalf. Right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but it, it was, that's what he does. He handles that, um, the reach of the ebook side uh, for me in a, in a market which is pretty unknown to me. Mm. Yes. And have, have you seen a, uh, an immediate impact from that on sales? Well, it haven't had the first six-month sales figures yet. Oh, I'm okay. still waiting for them. Right, okay. Oh, this um, is tense then, isn't it? Well, it, well if, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, mm. it doesn't. I mean, it's, I don't get too excited about it, to be honest. It's not my income. Mm. I mean, mm. you know, I'm retired with a pension. Mm. So the money side of all this is really not critical to me. Yes. What's interesting is the number of people who can read my stuff. And I was also interested in the possibility that coming... <laughs> through Fahrenheit to the crime books might generate more backwash yes, like, yes. into the others. I've not yeah. noticed that, yes. two different genres. I've not noticed a particular um, push on it. No, I haven't. So I don't know whether that was a thought that that might happen, but it wasn't. I wasn't certain that it would, and I don't think it has. I think he's um, he's quite a character, isn't he? Because uh, when yes, we were talking is. about it, I think you weren't quite sure what you were going to let yourself in for. Yes, he is a character. I think you could safely say that. <laughs> um, but he's he's made one pile, 
retired, mm. got bored, and started another business. And he's not he's not really typical of he's a very very uh, individual very highly individual bloke. Mm. I actually find him refreshingly honest to be mm. honest, and he's been very supportive to me when there's no reason why he should have been. And with this new venture, when I've been talking, I just he saw from my um, website that I was going to Unbound, and he said, you'll find this crowdfunding really hard, and if I can help you in any way, I'll do it. So I thought that was a very generous offer, actually, considering I'm placing a book with somebody else. Mm. Um, for him to offer to help would be... I haven't taken advantage of that yet. I'm not sure exactly how he can help, but the offer was a generous one, and I appreciated it. Mm. So he's invested in his authors. He doesn't just oh, yes. um, get you on board. No, and he's very keen. He's, mm. he's very keen on investing in his authors. He thinks that traditionally authors have not been well treated mm. by traditional publishing, and I would probably agree with him. Hence the 50-50 split. Yes. Um, and Unbound, again, is a 50-50 split, which has a... It, it immediately creates a different relationship with the author than the almost supplicant relationship that you have with a traditional publisher and you, you, you're grateful for your 10%. You know? yes. um, but that's, that's not a relationship I, was, I feel very happy about. So this, this halfway house between self-publishing and traditional with either Unbound or Fahrenheit is, is interesting to me. Um, the difference with Unbound, of course, is that you raise your own money to kick the project off. And that... That is a whole field of enterprise that I'm not really familiar with. Well, I'll delve into Unbound yes, in, in, sure in, in, uh, in a moment or two. Um, as, as far as your books are concerned, the Fahrenheit mm. deal, one of the things that I want to ask you, because you write your books and they're very deeply embedded in the Cumbrian community, mm. and so here is a an international seller taking what a local, quite parochial book, I don't mean that rudely, but that they are, and... and moving them to the States and, and, and yep. wider territories. So did, did that register on his radar at all? Was it a problem at all? It was a problem for me. Mm. I mean, I raised it almost immediately with him um, when we had a very good conversation in London. And I said, you know, my one of the attractions of my books apparently is the local feel. Mm. And local readers love them because they can identify places and times. And he said it makes absolutely no difference. If it's a good crime story, it's a good crime story. Yeah. It has the necessary... Um, protocols of a good crime story. The setting is immaterial. Mm. And if you look at his range of authors, the, one of the most successful lives in Finland and mm. writes about Finland. Um, but he's a New Zealander. So he's a, an incomer to a new environment, writes about... I mean, who knew, who knew Finland? Mm. And the, I'm sure the Finns are delighted that yes. he's writing about Finland. But you can read Grant's books and not think, oh, well, I don't understand because it's set in Finland. And the same, he said, Chris was quite clear that reading my book... He enjoyed it as a crime book mm -hmm. in a particular and a clearly identifiable location, but it could all have been fictional. Yes. Um, and even if it wasn't fictional, it made no difference to the story. And I thought, well, fair enough. Mm -hmm. Setting setting to the reader is means one thing to one reader and something else to another. Mm -hmm. And it's the, the notion that I had that only Cumbrian readers would find these books intelligible was wrong. And that's really interesting to know because when we spoke last time, uh, you know, a lot of what you were doing was, we, we've just finished, a, a, or just doing a library tour at the moment, been all around the county mm -hmm, doing mm -hmm. a library, and, and you've got these local readers who love to see yep, the place yep. names, and, and that's kind of where we were last time we spoke. So that's really educative, I think, to know that that doesn't matter. That well, it certainly didn't matter setting. to him. Mm. Um, with this global reach that he has through Fahrenheit Press, it didn't matter. 
the fact that I'm only going to Cumbrian libraries is only because nobody else asks me. <laughs> yeah. It's not that I say, oh, I must only go you to Cumbrian available. libraries. <laughs> uh, I am available for bar mitzvahs. Um, no, I'd, I'd love to have a wider reach and take an interest in setting, whatever the setting, elsewhere. Mm. Um, and setting is very important to me, both time and place. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a, a straitjacket. Mm. I think good... Interesting stories do have an identifiable setting. I mean, I read Anne Cleves Shetland books, yes. having never been to Shetland, mm. and would like to go to Shetland as yes. a result. It often works that way because it's it? a yeah. very atmospheric mm. setting, and it, the setting actually becomes part of the story, mm. either in terms of its claustrophobia or its weather or its um, the, the impact it has on people's lives, and either time or place. And I think that's certainly legit. That Morgan Bay played a part in the, the the crime story I wrote called Cruel Tide because it was it was a malevolent presence um, throughout the book mm. uh, dark, dangerous, um, which it is and it became almost a character in the book but it's not the fact that it's you know several thousand miles of mudflats or a few hundred miles of mudflats it could be anywhere Yes, you know yeah. it doesn't have to be in the northwest of England. How's the library tour been going? And oh, I, I, I missed you, which is why we're talking here today, oh, Kendall, because right. I had to be at work and uh, I wanted to catch up because that's actually how I first met you at yep. one of your library tours. Yeah, yeah, Carlisle uh, again. Yes, yeah, I'm fine. I mean, small but perfectly formed group. Yes. Really interesting conversation, um, and was conversation rather than presentation, and I like that. Mm. And people, I went to Brampton, never been to Brampton before in my life, Mm. and met a whole bunch of Brampton readers there who had never seen my books, Mm. didn't know anything about them, um, but they do now. Yes. So that, and they went to Shap, same, you know, little tiny community centre in Shap with a bowling competition across the street, and and met people that I'd never met before who didn't know me in an area of the county I didn't know at all. Um, And I found that, I, I really enjoyed it. It was pretty exhausting. I did three in a day. Well, I saw that. Yeah. It's a punishing schedule, that. I know. But somebody drove me, which was good. Oh, that's okay. Uh, otherwise, it would have been tricky. Mm. You know, and it was a lovely day. Mm. Up and down the M6 on an, anything less than a lovely day would have been yeah, not yes. great. Actually. Yes, because you, I mean, you live in the extremities of the county. I do, you? I do. It's... And going to Brampton from where I live, it was probably easier to get to Manchester from yes. where I live. Than yes, people don't appreciate that, that way. We it's live, huge. Mm. And it, from southwest corner to northeast corner, with a big mountain mass in the middle, yes. which you've got to go round. Yes. It's um, it's a long way. One of the um, amazing things you've done this year, uh, and, and it's even more interesting because the recording studio was just down the road from you oh, yes. in a remote rural area, was yes. recording your own audio. Yes, yes. Now, it's interesting. I, I've just recorded a, an interview with a, another Take Two guest, as I'm calling you, mm-hmm. people I've, I've come back to, a guy called Mike Bodner, who's also just recorded his audio book. I've really didn't want to do it at all uh, because I know how much work's involved mm. and you had the courage to do it. I want to know all about that, if I may. Right. Well, it wasn't so much the recording, it was the abridging. Mm. That would the, If the first issue was, if you read this book, and it was the first one, The Good Liar, from cover to cover, it's and, and think about CD as the technology mm. rather than MP3 because many of my readers wouldn't be able to get their heads around yes. an MP3 player. So if you go for CDs, you're talking... To get the whole thing done would be six and seven CDs. Mm. And I just thought, A, that's uh, a lot of work, a lot of work. It's more than a Pink Floyd album, isn't it? Oh, it's, uh, and it's huge. Mm. I mean, it's the cost of repro- reproduction of the packaging. Uh, my time, the studio time, would have been more than I could just take mm. on. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'll abridge it. 
Uh, and I, as long as I had bridged it, nobody yes. else. Yes. I was comfortable with that. And the bridging was a really interesting exercise. It mm. was very time-consuming. But be- because you're the author, you know which key pieces of conversation, descriptions, plot twists, have got to be there mm. and can't be cut. Mm. Whereas other bits could be taken out without real damage to the flow of the story. Mm. And finding that was very interesting. It took a long, long time to do it mm-hmm. because not only do you then have to, well, you cut, cut and cut and, you know, move things around and change a word here or there to make it flow a bit more carefully, but you can't mess too much with it. But then you've got to prepare it as a script. So I then had to print it all out, double-spaced, um, and put in markings for breaths, Yes. Um, cut the page at certain points so you could turn over without losing the sense of a sentence, that you could go from one page to another without them all falling on the floor, um, that you could guarantee almost to move a page without the microphone picking it up. Yes. The microphone was extraordinarily sensitive, yes. the one I used. everything. <laughs> it picked up a gurgle in my stomach at one point. Yes. Well, I used to have this problem on the radio when I was on the radio that um, do breakfast shows. I'd get really hungry yes. at the end of the show. Yeah. And it was a, a, a constant problem. Yeah, it is. Well, I didn't, I didn't, I'd never worked with a microphone as sensitive as that. So even before I got to the studio, I was taking a lot of time to think, how will this work? And you went online and thought, how, and, you know, how to do an audio book. And people said, well, you know, get this, do this, sit on the sofa with a blanket over your head. And I thought, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> because if you're going to put it out and sell it to people rather than just give it away, it's no. got to have a certain standard. Yes, I'm pleased you said that, yeah. Because oh. I, I know somebody who didn't do that and it sounds, it sounds, it sounds not good. It sounds bad, you know, and I'd be embarrassed about it. And you've still invested a lot of time and come out with a product you can't do anything with. Yes. So it was pure... Uh, um, coincidence that I discovered this recording studio up in Egremont because a friend of mine did some voiceovers for this chap. And and we we should say for people who aren't local, Egremont is very rural and yes. you live very rurally, but it's only 20 minutes 20 minutes field, away, yes. Which is remarkable, road. a recording I know, studio. Fantastic. I know, it is. And it's a fully fledged recording studio. It's called The Music Farm. It's really good. And Tom Tyson, who runs it and built it, is an ex-guitarist, um, you know, a pop right. guitarist. Mm. It's a purpose-built studio. Um, with everything in it that you could possibly want. And and I went to see him, obviously, because I wasn't sure I wanted to commit to it. And him, he didn't want necessarily to commit to me either if I wasn't serious. Then we had a you know good look round and tested some things out and did a demo disc. Yes. And at the end of it, I thought, right, I think I can probably do this. Mm-hmm. But then we had to book the studio time. Yes. And, it, and I had to learn how to do it and relax into it you know mm. because if you get yourself in a tiz over reading it affects your voice yeah. um you can very hear even, you? yes mm. very even throughout very even mm. um but he looked after all the sound levels to make sure that there was absolute consistency yes but i just had to relax into the story and slow down mm. and put the feeling into the story that was it deserved yeah but still make everything clearly intelligible to the reader and to the listener. So it was a, a knack that I kind of gradually eased into. And if you get tense or nervous, it instantly it shows in the tape. So I just I just got better at it as I went along. How many hours do you think it took to, to and it what was took, the resulted length of, of that, the It's a three, three CDs now yeah. at 180 minutes 
Well, that, yeah, that is it's cut, not quite a lot. It's, 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 it's cut, it's though, cut well, it's 50%. Yeah. Yeah. Between wow. 40 and 50% was abridged. I couldn't believe it. Wow. Um, but I've listened to it, and actually, the story rattles along. Mm. And there's occasional bits that you feel, oh, it's a pity that I had to go, but as an exercise in kind of extreme editing mm. with your own um, text... I found it really interesting to yeah. see at the end of the day when you have to cut 50%, which bits do you keep? Yes. Um, and which bits can go without serious damage? It's the classic them. kill your darlings, isn't it? It is killing mm. your darlings, but some of the darlings survived um, and justified their presence in a sense. Um, some of the descriptive stuff that you would think, oh, well, that has to go. But it has such a strong... Uh, impact on the, the setting of a conversation or an event that it stays and I was pleased to see that it wasn't just cut everything out except the absolute guts of a, the story and the plot mm. um, I, I found it a really interesting exercise but it took much longer than I was anticipating yes. and the plan that I had then to do the whole trilogy audio <laughs> well I, I might still but how I'd find the time for it I'm not yeah. sure um, because in the middle of thinking about the next two that, that would have to be abridged and done, then this unbound thing came up, mm. and that was that just pushed everything else to one side for a while because yes. it was all done pretty quickly. If the unbound thing doesn't work, and there's always possibility it won't work, then I'm back to my own time frame on the next book, and I could then possibly weave this audiobook stuff into it. it it's it's useful because it's a completely different activity and you know that when you're writing it gets a bit um, intense mm -hmm. and um, private and quiet so going out to another place and doing something different is actually quite good therapy when you're writing I think yes, yes. it's all to do with words mm. but it's a different form of words and I found that quite refreshing yeah yeah. and so have you ended up then with, with just CDs are you going to go for the MP3 at all I'm not at the moment mm. no I'm, I, I'm torn I want to try marketing the CDs but I really would like to have the trilogy ready before I start marketing mm. number one because I've, the pressure to produce the second one when the, the first one is out and people want the second one yes. that, is, that reduces the pleasure to a panic yeah. and I don't really want to do that I'd much prefer to have the three the trilogy in place as an audio book set before I start marketing mm. and ideally that would be before Christmas but if it was before next Christmas well it doesn't really matter books don't go stale do they? no well, the, the beauty of historical fiction is that it doesn't date yes um, and if people like to listen, and I think they do, and many of my readers struggle with small print, and uh, you know they, they love to listen to stuff, and some people love to listen in the car, I do my son. Mm. So looking at that potential market and enjoying the process of both editing and recording, and I did in the end enjoy mm. them very much. Oh, you edited it? Did you do the editing? Didn't need it. Oh, right, just... Ooh. Didn't need it. Straight. Very impressive. I know it was, actually. Yeah, very impressive. Because I had a vision of it being cut and, you know, da da da, -da. Yes, yes. But what we actually ended up doing, although I anticipated we'd need to edit, we yes. didn't. Wow. Because I got into the confidence that says, if I knew that I'd done something wrong, I stopped. Mm. I said to Tom, can we go back? Mm -hmm. And he would hear it himself and mm -hmm. say, just, I think we need to do that piece again. 
And it, and it rattled along, mm. actually, taking less time than I anticipated, wow. because I learned very quickly that if, you, if your critical brain is saying that's not quite right, mm. you stop straight away. It's much easier for him mm. in, in the same circumstances with the same sound levels to go back, yes. you know, two or three minutes and just drop the next piece in and carry on yes, yes. than it is for him afterwards to start. Oh, a drop-in is deadly to, to yes. try and get the yes, same I know, I know. sound that, quality. Yes, and, yeah, that's what we were trying to avoid. Even in the same studio, it's deadly. Yes. Exactly. You've got to be so, right in the same position on the microphone. Yes, I know. Yeah. I know. So, <laughs> as far as it possible, and almost universally, we just kept going. Great. And we, we edited as we went. Yeah. And and I learned to to expect the highest of myself. And if it wasn't, if it was okay, but not really right. Yes. I said no, back. Yes. And we just we just did it. Well, you're very brave because um, you know I've spent years in radio, and I just would I wouldn't touch it. I just know how much work and pain is involved. Well, in yeah, that. but if I'd known that, I probably wouldn't have touched it myself. <laughs> no, no. You know, I was just acting out of sheer innocence, yes. and just I thought if I'd tried to get somebody else to read it, I would have been unhappy. If I tried to get somebody else to abridge it, I would have been unhappy. Yeah, the abridging, I think you've got to do that. Well, I think so, You've got a real hatchet job. But then you read all these websites that say, never do it yourself, always get a professional actor to do it. But that would have cost me. It would have put the business plan out of the question Mm -hmm. because I would never have got back um, what I'd invested in the process without actually charging a huge amount for the CD. Um, And I haven't costed out the final product because we're still at the, 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 the stage of having to research packaging. Yes, yes. Which for a multiple CD mm. um, is an issue. We're not quite got there yet because, no. again, this unbound thing has pushed everything to one side. Right. But if, if I price myself out of the market mm. by, by employing a professional actor to do it, and even then, I've heard some audio books read by professional actors which have been dire. Mm. Mm. And I, I think to myself, if I was the author, I'd be mortified to hear my stuff being read like that. $600 I paid for mine, for a 50,000-word book. Um, and I kept all the rights. US. US, yeah, yeah. Um, it was about 600 I think, yeah. And um, he, the advantage was, it's all pros and cons with everything. He had a recording studio. Because he was American, uh, my biggest problem was mispronunciations. Yeah. Uh, and I had to say some things you've got to go back and do them again. Yeah, I can't yeah. let that through. Yeah. So that was a nuisance for him. I think I paid him a bit extra at the end mm. just to reflect that because I was being pinnacle. And how much something. are you charging for those? Um, I think about seven ninety nine, something like really? that through Audible. Yeah, but I keep a, I can't remember what the percentage rate is. But um, I uh, didn't, with, with Amazon, you, uh, ACX, um, you you have to sign your life away for seven years to get oh. a higher percentage. So I'll be on to that thirty or forty on that because I wasn't prepared to sign away mm. seven years. A lot can happen in seven years. You know, mm-hmm. if, if as we all hope and dream, your career really takes off. I don't want to be caught in somebody else's contract for seven years. I want to be able to skim that. Well, off. you see, at your age, you're still thinking that <laughs> far ahead. At my yes. age, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lot of years uh, writing left yet. Um, who knows? Who knows? I mean, I'll be 70 next birthday. How are you? Right. So, you know, it's all bonus, mm. really. You mm. don't, you don't, I mean, it's silly to say I'm perfectly fit and healthy, so there's no reason I shouldn't live for another 10 years. But whether I want to spend the next 10 years working as hard on stuff yes. as I've spent the last 10 yes. years, yes. I'm not sure. Yeah, it is yeah. hard work, isn't yeah, it? it? it is. uh, definitely, yeah. if, um, you know, if you're very and committed. I'm, I've to... had my career and, mm. you know, done the, done the sort of the big professional piece. And I'm supposed to be retired. Yes, and who would know it? I know. But, I mean, you know, even if you do stop, 
you've got this wonderful legacy yes. of books. And isn't yes, that I'm, the wonderful I'm, thing about is, writing? It is, actually. Always on the shelf. I'm really pleased about that. And because, as I said, because the historical fiction, they don't date. Mm. If it was contemporary, contemporary chick lit, it would feel, five years down the track, it would feel uh, oddly clunky. Yes. But I'm, I'm perfectly happy with the, the, what I've written, reflecting its time, and will continue to reflect its time in 10 years, 20 years, 30 yeah. years. And if people who live locally or come to Cumbria read them and feel that they understand the history of our county a little better than they did before, well, that makes me very happy. Yes. In fact, when I did the launch of Fatal Reckoning at the Beacon in Whitehaven, I asked the director, Elizabeth Kwasnick, who who I know, to just introduce um, the event. And she came to Whitehaven from Dundee, I think, Fife. I think, or was it Dumfries? I can't remember. Anyway, north of the border. Mm. And she'd come down to take this job. And she, in her introduction, she said, the first thing she did when she came was get my three books out of the shop at the museum, the trilogy, and read it. Mm. And felt, having done so, that she understood the, the cultural history of West Cumbria yes. in a way that she couldn't have necessarily understood otherwise. Yeah. And I was very chuffed with that because that is a legacy that you can be proud of. You write an excellent blog. I always enjoy reading oh, the you. articles on your blog, and I find them very diverse. One made me laugh when I was having a read through that you'd done a little survey of your listeners, and apparently uh, the male readers want more sex things in your, in <laughs> always, your, always. In your books. <laughs> and the, the female <laughs> listeners aren't that fussed, to be honest. <laughs> Which made me laugh, and I just wondered. I think we'd alluded to this last time we spoke, actually, mm-hmm. and you'd said that you don't you don't do that. I think you close the bedroom door in your books, don't you? Um, I think it's necessary right yes. I mean I, I'm sure that some of my male readers and some of my female readers too might want things more explicit but I just find it too clunky so you're not going to be driven by the calls of your readers to spice up the books at all it depends what they mean by spice it yeah. up you know I think you can be quite sexually charged without being explicit yes. you can yeah. be erotic without being sexual yes um, and I've no problem with that mm. But for explicit sexual content, I think you're going to have to go somewhere else. Yes, yeah. I don't okay. do weddings either. You're, uh, <laughs> you're resisting all these, all these requests. Oh, I'm <laughs> too old. You know? I mean, somebody said that you need more such and such. I'd think, well, maybe. But if I don't fancy it, I don't do it. I'll put, well, I'll put the link to that uh, post on the resources oh, right. page. It's just yeah. like, she gave me a little tissue when I was reading that. Yeah. It was very good. Um, now, I, I know that it's quite um, a painful transition period for you at the moment because the team that you've worked with mm. for many years... Um, is retired. How dare yes. they? How dare they? Well, they're older than me. Yeah. So, you know, they've every right. Yeah. But but this gives you a problem because you've worked really closely mm. with this team. What what logistical problems has that given you now? Well, it it means that from working with um, a, a couple, one the editor, both the story editor and the line editor, and the other a very skilled and interesting book designer, uh, who has done all the printing contracts and well for me. Um, from working with them, who I've known as friends for thirty years, I'm I'm out there thinking, well, who who am I going to get to help? And recognizing that the relationship with the editor, particularly, isn't just functional. It's it's a relationship. It's a matter of trust mm, and definitely. respect. Mm. And you can't just invent that. It either it develops or it doesn't develop. Yes. And the first year or two of that relationship could be a bit tedious and bumpy and. Me wonder if you've made a mistake. So I was pondering how to set about that when 
an offer came in to take care of all that. And I thought, well, I've got to... No change was not an option, basically. Yes. I had to do something differently. Yes, you're being forced down a certain route. Forced down a a Mm. particular route, which I may or may may not have wanted to go. Mm. So having been... If no change was not an option, then and change was necessary, Mm. I just thought, well, this may be fortuitous. Let's give it a go. And if it doesn't work, I've got a little longer to think about finding someone, talking to people like yourself or others about people they know or trust. Uh, I've got it without sacrificing the time frame for the next book. So along comes Unbound, yes. which I, I've heard of Unbound, but I've, uh, and, and I know they're crowdfunding in very simple mm-hmm. terms. So they, they approached you rather than you went to them? Yes, they? they did. Now, this is, this is interesting for, you know, talking about library talks. I was doing a library talk in Ulverston um, about the last book, and the usual suspects, you know, around Ulverston's an interesting town, with good readers, and there we were in the library. And at the end of that talk, which went quite well, but I always enjoy them, they, a chap came up to me and said that his daughter worked with a company called Unbound in mm-hmm. London, and and she was uh, she'd be interested. Uh, you know, would I be interested in Unbound? And I'd heard of them mm. through the Society of Authors. Right. At a, another thing I went to in Manchester last year, and a guy came up and gave us a little presentation, and it all sounded the kind of thing which the under thirties might get excited about. But I just thought, oh, I didn't need to deal with that at that time. So he said, my daughter works for Unbound, and, I, and people often come to you at the end of things and say, oh, I can do this for you, I can do that, and, and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because 99% of the time, nothing materialises. Yeah. So I said, oh, thank you, that's really interesting, thank you, and I'm just a bit busy at the moment, and blah, blah. And, but a week later, um, the daughter emailed me, hmm? and it turned out she wasn't, I mean, I, I had no idea what she did, he didn't say. She's a commissioning editor with Unbound. Great. Um, and she wrote to me and said... Uh, I hear that you know, she'd heard about the backlist. Uh, she'd heard about the new project because I talked about it or talked a little bit about it. Um, she said, I'd be really interested to see whether you could work with us um, and explain. And I went online, as you do, and checked them all out and, mm. and um, looked at this crowdfunding thing and thought, mm, you know, I have no idea how it would work. So I thought, well, nothing ventured, you know. So... They said, can you come to London? Can you uh, hear, do a workshop on crowdfunding? Can you do a promo video for us? Can you give us a synopsis? Can you give us a bio? Um, did all that. Not difficult. The synopsis was good because I hadn't really got to that stage of my own thinking and mm. it made me think more about how I was going to frame this book. So it did you a favour? Mm. It did me a favour in mm. pushing me into a kind of outline. And I did a much longer outline as well, which I don't think is on the website. I think they've just got the synopsis. But the outline, again, helped me. I didn't mm. think you could do a synopsis without an outline, so I did both. And that was helpful because it, again, concentrated the mind. Yes. Then I went to London, did the video, which was... Oh, they did that video? Was it like a professional kind of show? Oh, yes, yes. How, how, oh, how yes. interesting that yes, is. Yes, it was very mm. interesting. The downside was that we were working in the Unbound office, and it's in an old building in... Um, Islington. Yes. And just outside, well, the whole building was being renovated. So during the recording, we had guys throwing scaffolding poles around. We were in a, um, they didn't use uh, use natural light. So every now and then, um, a, a builder, hard hat and all, would cross the planking in front of the window and they'd say, stop, stop, because the light level, of course, changed. Yes. 
Oh. Attempt what we ended up with about three minutes of video. It took two and a half hours. Yes, yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe. This is why it. I never did telly. This is why I always did radio. Oh, absolutely. Well, mm. I can see why that was. I know because mm. all the light and everything and angles, and I ended up looking about 105, and <laughs> I couldn't really had the makeup on, and oh, it was just a nightmare. Anyway, um, it came out all right, but it was a bit of a, a drag. And the very interesting workshop on crowdfunding as well, which was necessary for someone of mm. vintage. Yes. Because it wasn't a natural thing that I'd grown up with. No, well, it, I, I looked at Unbound, and it looks very much like Kickstarter. Mm. That when you do crowdfunding, you have to have levels of reward, yes. which is very interesting. Yes. I was looking at your levels of pledge. Your, mm, yeah. and, and how easy or difficult was it to come up with those? Oh, not. I mean, I looked at a lot of others, mm. um, particularly the fiction ones, and you realise that people will pledge for um, a visit from an author to a book group, and they have. Or uh, they'll pledge for a guided tour of West Cumbria with the author in a minibus, you know, <laughs> which, which I have to say the only person who's pledged for that so far is the potential driver of the minibus. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and then you've got the e-book or the signed copy or the early bird signed copy or unsigned or what I mean, yeah. levels. Yes. Uh, and, I, and we put those together in about 10 minutes. It wasn't oh, any yeah. hard. It was very interesting. I, was, yeah. I thought it was a really nice package. The only difficulty I'm finding, finding at the moment is that a lot of my potential readers are not in the UK yeah, yeah. because of my reputation elsewhere yes and you know it's not so easy to have um, a tour of West Cumbria with the author <laughs> if you live in uh, Vancouver yes you know? yes so I'm, I'm working at the moment thinking about what could I do which would have a similar um, opportunity for people not in this country mm. and I mean it's obvious really you do a Skype conference with a, mm. a book group yes or a yeah. conversation with somebody about your work or whatever and they would pledge for that in the same ways that yeah. in the UK they'd pledge for something else. Yes, yeah. Are you we selling off any been... characters? A lot of people sell off be a character in my book. I've been asked to do that mm. and I refused. Really? Yes. Um, if you're writing a, a book about with the backdrop of foot and mouth... Oh, yes, yes. You've right? Got to be, yes, you've got to be really, yeah. really careful. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean, with that particular topic, yes, you've got to... You, yes, I was it, there... It yes. was a very, it's a very sensitive time. Very sensitive, yeah. very emotional, mm. very tragic... In fact, one of the chaps I've, I want to talk to, who was one of the um, instrumental person in the Farmers Network, he, I got an email just when I was waiting for you saying that he was anxious about this project because I'd asked him for his help. Mm. Anxious about it because of the, the, the trauma that people went through yes. and that anybody making light of it, mm. he couldn't have anything to do with. And I, I, I get that. So the, the, the crisis, the foot and mouth crisis, is very much backdrop. But it's, it's the crisis that propels the change in a family from which the story develops. Mm -hmm. um, without the separation of the family mm. by that outbreak, there would be no story as yes. it's turning out. So yeah. it's merely a, tr it's a catalyst for the story rather than the story in itself. Mm. But keeping those two separate, men, it's got to be sensitive to the point where you can't just you know put somebody in mm -hmm. no. yeah it was um, i was reporting for the bbc i hadn't long been up here mm. when when foot and mouth hit and it was one of the most astonishing and sustained news stories that i've ever reported on mm. in that um for the national press well even national press didn't come and go within a week they usually come and go within a week and mm. never mop up the legacy of that uh, but it went on it affected us for so I long know, i know uh, so it's very good source material it is for those who lost herds and those who remember the, you know, the animals yes, burning, I know, I know. it was a terrible it was time. It was traumatic, mm. traumatic. But 
I mean, it, it's a slightly different thing, but I, read, I wrote that book about Windscale. Yes. Which, although it was much further away, mm. and the, um, the memories are much less raw than with Foot and Mouth, the experience of dealing with a sensitive local issue mm. as carefully as one, one can, yes. and the primacy of good research... And not falling for product placement stuff. Or my one of the uh, people I was talking to in London said, oh, are you going to do it about a real farm? I said, no, mm-hmm. no, we're not talking real farms mm. and real farmers. Mm. Couldn't do that. Mm. Um, I'm going to anonymize some of the locations. I'm going to move the whole action north, yes. further away from where I live myself, mm-hmm. so I can't be accused of any kind of special interest or anything in what's going on. Yes. Um, you keep the rumors and the... The, the conspiracy theories as as rumours and conspiracy theories don't even pay attention to them in the main text so I'm, I already I'm coming across already ways in which ethically mm. I will have to behave in this instance mm. and I think this chap quite rightly uh, who may not be reassured by what I can tell him but he quite rightly he's saying you, this has got to be handled really, really carefully yeah, to make it it's acceptable. It's a really interesting challenge yeah. as an author, isn't it? It is. Very interesting. And it, it, that's why it's taken me a long time to commit to doing it, mm. because although the issue has been in the back of my mind for a while, I was I was not sure, and in fact I'm still not sure, how careful one has to be to manage it. Mm. The, the person, the farmer I talked to yesterday, was very keen for the story to be told. Um... She said, it's time we understood, people understood what we went through. Mm. But, uh, um, and they didn't lose a herd. Mm. They came close to it, but they didn't lose a herd. So, but her brother did, you know, and she said people elsewhere have never really understood, in her view, what the stresses were. Mm. Not just to losing animals, but from the sense of responsibility of keeping the infection out of your farm. Because yes. if you got it on your farm, your neighbours went down, yes. you know, yes. with the three kilometre yes. contiguous... Yes, we were all bathing in dettol. My kids oh. were tiny at the time. They always have to put the wetty boots through the yeah, dettol to go to playgroup and things. People don't see that side no, of it. No, they don't. And the time and the money that it costs to do that, mm. to keep your farm safe, not just for yourself, but mm. for your neighbours, Very, she was very, very um, interesting, the way she talked about that whole experience. But she was not saying to me, don't tell this story. She was saying, do tell this story. As long as, obviously, you do it with care. Yes. And I think that's the challenge I've got to deal mm, with. It's a real and challenge. what I'll do, of course, as I did with the Windscale book, is when I get to the, before we ever get to the sort of second or third drafting stage, I'll roll it past mm. probably this chap from the Farmers Network. Yeah. Um, the lady I spoke to in Cockermouth, um, one of the policemen, maybe a school teacher, and say, tell me if this book is to you, a reasonable reflection of what was going on. And if it's not, how do we need to change it? How does... uh, (laughs) Something's just dropped off the wall in front of (laughs) me. How does um, the money with Unbound work? Because there's there's an element of of partnership, especially the profits, but also there's an element of having to raise the cash. Yes. Is that really to to test that there's a market for it first? It's to cover their costs. Right. I mean, what it does, interestingly, is reduce the dilemma of traditional publishing... Mm. That knowing from the beginning that 90 plus percent of what they publish will lose money, okay, and it yeah, does, right. and what they're always looking for mm. is the next bestseller. Mm-hmm. So they're terribly prone to uh, 
trend following. Yes, yes. You know, if it hasn't got a girl in the title, it's not going to yeah. sell, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> yeah. So what this does is because it guarantees the support for the first initial run, mm. they're not so paranoid about, um, can, will this be a bestseller? Right, yeah. It may not make a lot, but it won't mm. lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but the, the funding, the raising of that fund is down to the author. Mm. And that is very... I mean, Chris McVeigh from Fahrenheit described the process as relentless. I think you've been really brave, actually. Well, uh, what's to lose? Mm. You kind of need a platform first. So you need oh, you do. hungry fans that you can get to straight away. I mean, you, uh, I, you well, know. I've got fans. What I haven't done over the years, and this is another thing that I'm looking back, I should have done, is get the email address yes. of every single person yes. I've talked to over five years. Because yes. there must be And that's your platform, then. Yes, yeah, so that's your platform. That's your and I've got lists and you know some people I've only got a mailing address for so mm. the, the mail shot went out last week um, and I've got plowing through emails some personal some group mm. um, and uh, having little flyer little flyer printed well I'll take one of those we'll scan yeah. that for the page right it's quite a nice little flyer yes actually. Um, and it I mean it's cheap as chips but this is a postage the postage costs more than the the flyers. Yes. To get to get fifty out, you know, it costs a lot of money. Mm. But um, it, it's the whole. That's what this crowdfunding workshop was about. It's about different circles that you get to with yourself and the project mm. in the centre, friends and family here, uh, Twitter followers here, Facebook friends here, um, your own blog, um, people like yourself, mm. bloggers. Um, other mechanisms for getting the word out there. Yes. So you exponentially, you grow the number of people who get access to that link. Yes, yes. But my question in the blog this morning was, okay, so you've got this massive pond called your crowd, mm. but what proportion of that pond, of people in that pond, will go to, not only go to the link, but actually do something about it? Yes, and most people don't do that. That's well, the, they don't. And I, I mean, who can blame them? Mm. I'm not sure I would myself. Mm. Except if you're looking at it as a pre-order, mm -hmm. but then you have to wait a year. Yes, for the book. It, yes. So the delayed gratification involved is mm. a bit different from a pre-order that, you know, it might be a month before the book comes out that mm. you pre-order. So there's a kind of, there's a whole way of thinking about it, which is not part of my upbringing. Mm. Some of the people at Unbound, the under 30s, they've been crowdfunding since they were, you know, yay high. Mm. And it, it's just, just the way they do stuff. Yes. But for my generation... It's different, mm. and I have—I'm not sure how it's going to work. Mm. Yes, actually. yes. I'm, I think it might, but there's no guarantee of it. And if it doesn't, you then are looking at places like Reedsy, which I was mentioning yeah. to you earlier. You're looking for. Yes, I'm. I'm, a new I'm team no, you see, do it. if it doesn't work, I'll mm. know by the end of the summer, mm -hmm. uh, and that still leaves me on target for the, the the idea I had in my own head that the new book will be out in whatever form by next summer. Mm. I'd already said to myself that that would be the case. So I'll be working on the manuscript throughout. Uh, and if I get the manuscript finished by the spring, for my own purposes, it can be out in the in people's hands in the summer. Yes. And for Unbound's purposes, the time frame for the first draft finish is November. So, because they take a little longer with this process. Um, but we should know by the end of the summer, I should have a pretty good idea whether or not the, the funding target's going to be met. Yes. And when, I, when you ask, you know, how, does, how is that decision made that it's going to work or not going to work, 
that Unbound told me that mostly, if it doesn't work, it's because the author just gets fed up. Yes. And yeah. says, I can't do any more. Done mm. what I can. It's not working. Mm. Um, we're 80% short or 20% short or whatever it is. So I'm going to take it back and do something else. Yes. And, and I, I have no problem with that, really. Well, you've got to test her, haven't you? You've got yes, to, you've got it. I mean, as again, nothing ventured, nothing mm. gained. Um, some people get to 100%. Mind you, they do a lot of celebrity stuff. Yes, So yes. you've got a built-in platform, if you like. Yes. Mind. Uh, and people will buy whatever, whoever it is, writes, whether yes. or not it's any good. Part of feeding into this whole issue is I, I read another of your excellent blog posts mm-hmm. about do I need an agent or not? Oh. And um, it, it strikes me that you've got you've got a pretty impressive pedigree now. You've got a good collection of books behind mm-hmm. you. You've shown that you are a motivated author in terms of that you do the work, mm-hmm. you'll do the talks, which yep. go down oh, very well. I love well. that. I love that. And you've you know you've pushed out the boat. I think you did really well with the audio. I think you did really well yeah. with the crowdfunding. That's really impressive stuff. So you're a pretty good author to bet on, rather than somebody who says oh, I write the books, I don't do anything else. You're quite a good bet now, and you've got a good back catalogue. And I wonder if maybe it is the time to think about an agent because well, I've done it again. I've tried again. Yeah, well they they know what they're buying into now. Don't yeah, they? but absolutely nothing. Really, no, no. bites even no. with that. No, that back catalogue. No, no, um, no. So you've been working through the Writers and Artists Yearbook again? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I did it about three months ago. Shot off about, oh, I can't remember, maybe 20 yeah. emails with attachments and this and that, links to the website. No. Nothing? No. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's for the very nervous, I think, in, in traditional publishing. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm too old. I live in a place they don't even know where it is. I write historical fiction. Well, I mean, you can genre tag it as commercial, historical commercial women's fiction. I mean, mm. you can hear the nails going into the coffin, <laughs> can't you, really? Um, so it doesn't exactly leap off the page as kind of the next bestseller. Um, and it wouldn't be a massive bestseller. But it, I mean, it may, I've made some money out of mine. I'm audience. not losing money. Mm. Um, so, but it just is not attractive. I think that's the case. Not mm. attractive. Not sexy enough. Maybe I should do something about listen that. Listen to those blokes. L- yeah, listen to those blokes. Um, not violent enough. Yes. I won't do graphic violence mm. and I won't do graphic sex. Now, mm. both of those sell. Yes, yes. But I'm too old, frankly, mm. to say, oh, because they sell, I'll do it. Yes. But I'm then, not selling myself for this. But then you're, you know, you've got readers who are your age too and have know, your same exactly. taste. So yes. And there I is won't, an audience I won't do. I won't do, even with the, the story about the, the abuse of children, um, and the cruel tide and beyond. I could have been more graphic about what happened to those children, and I thought about it, and I just said, "No, I'm not going to do that." Mm-hmm. Um, we can, you can imply problem and difficulty and violence without being graphic, and I, I can't read graphic violence against children or women. Can't mm-hmm. read it. Mm-hmm. Have got you know with some of the psychological thrillers, I'll just put them down because mm-hmm. I can't cope. Even the Nordic Master, if I can't yes. cope. It's quite dark. And if I'm, it is quite mm. dark, and the the violence is always against women, mm. always, and it's I just find that so depressing and upsetting that if I can't read it, then why should I write it? Mm-hmm. And mm. if that's what they're looking for mm. to make them a bestseller, then they have to look somewhere else. Yeah. I just thought I just, as you said, I'll just test the water one more time. Um, and there's been, there were odd sniffs and requests for the books. Which I have sent, mm-hmm. um, and never heard another thing. But they would say, "Oh, it takes time," you know. I think, well, how many books are you trying to read at once? Mm. And this, as I said, was through three months ago. No, there was an interest 
but when I, when I when this person read the the um, what I was doing with Unbound, they said, well, we want your next book, and if it's not coming, we're not interested in any of the backlist stuff. So fair enough. Um, but I'd, I'd lost interest by that time. Yeah, really. yeah. So you think you'll stay an independent, self-published author? I, they would have to come of... to me. Mm. I'm not. I'm not wasting time going out to Camilla in Islington again. You know, because the the, the irritation about every single agent's address being in London it exists, um, and I, I I just I know I have to deal with it. But it, it's it's such an irritant that you and I live in a place that the London community just doesn't seem to acknowledge and I for one am of a of an age that the London book community doesn't seem to acknowledge that if they can't I mean I, mean, I can see it if I'm in my 70th year the chances of me earning me a fortune or a 10% cut over the next 10 years are mm. limited mm. right so why don't they they'd obviously want to invest in somebody who's 35 fair enough mm. but the fact that I could sell them some books mm. And I might keep writing. I mean, when did Catherine Cookson stop? I don't know. Mm. Um, I just think, oh, it's just not worth trying to argue the case here. So what are your immediate plans? I hadn't realised you were 70, by the way. Oh, so, not, uh, not 70 yet. Next, no, but next looking, birthday. You're looking very good on it. Thank you. And, and you're Thank working you. very hard. I am. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think... Age is a number. Yes. Right? It's just, but to, to people for whom the future, the next decade mm. of earning is critical for their... Well, Livelihood. Mm. I can understand the reluctance to to invest any time at all in anybody of my age. So I, I thought, well, and I didn't even mention my age, of course, but you wouldn't have to look very hard to discover mm-hmm. that I'm, you know, well past retirement. So the next, what's the next plan? Keep going, really, until I decide it's not fun anymore. Thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.